Coach. Hello, Coach. How are you? I'm rather well. I'm rather well. It's raining outside. And how does that make you feel? I actually, this is weird. Like, I love summer rain. When it rains and it's like 25 degrees Celsius or more, I just want to go outside in the rain. <laughs> I completely recommend doing that, actually. We got caught in a, in a summer shower the other week, uh, walking home from the grocery store. Suddenly, there was one of those torrential downpours. Mm. And it was warm and it was nice. And I felt like dancing. Ah, that's lovely. That is so lovely. Did you? No, I didn't uh, because I was carrying a bunch of groceries. So we just got terribly wet and laughed at each other instead. But it was still a very nice moment. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely, lovely. It's rubbish for recording, though, I've noticed. The, the, The patter of raindrops on equipment and oneself gets picked up very, very well. That's probably true, yeah. So... This week, I actually want to ask you some really productive questions or really constructive questions, hopefully. Okay. Because I am in the situation now where I am yet again coaching a bunch of designers. And I think you have some experience of that. Yes. And not only am I, of course, coaching designers, but I'm in a new role. So I'm also trying to coach myself to fulfill that role as well. And these things are kind of related, right? Coaching oneself and coaching others. Yeah, absolutely. I get the feeling that because designers are so often asked to think broader, think outside the box, do things differently, experiment, play with play with ideas, that herding cats has never been more applicable. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. One thing that might be worth doing, mm. and this is based on a conversation that I had with Margaret Lee, who's a, a fantastic coach. She ran the teams at Google for many, many years and at other huge similar companies. And I got to ask her the question that I've always wanted to ask is, what's the difference between coaching and mentoring? And she, the way she expressed it, the, the short version here now from me, and I hope I get it right, is that mentoring has more to do with advice and personal experiences. Whereas coaching is more about finding the helping the people you're coaching to find the answers within themselves. Do you agree with that distinction? I really like it. Like I have nowhere near the experience of Margaret, and probably not even half the experience that you have of this. But in my experience of coaching, what I've sort of intuited the process is about or or how I think the process kind of works is that the coach doesn't really add much input to the coachee but rather tries to just ask questions to get the coachee to evolve in the direction they're going just do it more efficiently Mm. is that a fair interpretation do you think I think it is and and I would say that that's very much in line with Margaret Lee's definition of coaching versus mentoring. I have a very difficult time having a drawing the line between the two. Um, Obviously, it's worked anyway, thankfully. But to me, it's really difficult to not bring in the powers of mentoring in coaching. I feel that coaching can become quite clinical, which is great in a way because it means that it's a bit more unbiased, it scales better. But part of of the mentoring 
for me and, and being believable as a coach, if you're not a professional coach, and I want to say that Margaret Lee is incredibly believable and she is a professional coach and she is absolutely mind-blowing. But for those of us who don't have these roles full-time, moving between the two might be the way to do it, to actually coach ourselves. And I also want to say that I've never come across a coach or a mentor who doesn't think that that's okay. It's just that there is a difference and sometimes it can be useful to keep those distinctions. If nothing else, also when you're sort of offering these services, especially if you do it commercially. So yeah, I would say your, your coaching definition is definitely the, the one that, that most people seem to agree is how you approach coaching. Well, I'm glad I'm not, I'm not completely out of bounds as quite often happens for me. But so how do you go about it? What, what is a good coaching process in, in your mind? The biggest thing is to really understand the aspirations and wishes and the starting point of the person that you're coaching. And to really try to put yourself in their shoes, which we as designers, at least theoretically, should be very comfortable in doing. But at the same time, removing ourselves as much as possible when we're coaching. And I think this is the interplay between coaching and mentoring that I find interesting to be able to jump between the two. But the answer to your question, definitely understanding the starting point and aspirations of the person that you're coaching. Does that gel with your starting points? Yeah, definitely. I find it interesting because, so I think I'm a little bit stuck in trying to do discovery and coaching basically back to back. So in, in one call, I'm talking to someone about what their problem is and trying to understand their worldview and sort of arriving, hopefully, at their sort of starting point. And then in the next call, I'm trying to guide someone's thoughts into being more productive about what they're trying to achieve. And for me, I think I have some dissonance between the two. I think I'm at a little bit of a conflict about how to actually do this in a constructive way. Uh, hopefully, and as far as I know, it seems to be working. People seem to be happy with the results so far, but that's no excuse to not try to improve, right? So I'm wondering, like, trying to understand the starting point, I think I understand that. Mm. Or do you mean that in a different way as what I just described with discovery, trying to understand somebody's pain point and context? No, it's, it's exactly that. And I think what quite often happens is that once we've started that journey, we'll, we'll take that info as the starting point, and then we conclude the starting point, and then we quickly move on to doing something with it. And I think the trick often, not always, but often, is to then allow the coachee to take it beyond that stage. And if they want to stay within the discovery phase, which a lot of people do because they're not as used to or as comfortable with sort of getting the discovery done that quickly, it can evolve. And as they set the pace, as they evolve, they might also change their own goals with the coaching. So a lot of this is really about listening, I mean, obviously always, but maybe listening with sort of the, the discovery headset on for a longer period of time than just the, the first one or maybe two sessions. That's incredibly interesting. How would you say, you used a phrase here for wrapping up the starting point. Hmm. 
I can't remember exactly what you what you said because unfortunately I can't be writing down notes because my mic is too close to the keyboard. But <laughs> how how do you do that? What does that mean for you? I think as I don't really want to wrap up the discovery phase, it's more about finding the transition from one session to the next. Ah. If you find, let's say, two things that seem to be very important for the person that you're coaching, then allowing them the, in the next session to expand on those things because they will probably have thought more about this than, than you have. You might be coaching several people and this is sort of part of, of your, it's part of your work, it's part of their work as well, but it's on a more personal level for them. So to simply allow that to continue and after a couple of conversations, if nothing more gets added to a particular topic or track, you can be fairly certain that, that the discovery when it comes to these key topics has concluded by itself. And by that time, you've already moved on to another stage of these tracks or another way of talking about them mm. together with the, with the coachee. That's very interesting. I want to jump to something concrete, to a specific example that comes after this in the process, I believe. So I, I have not encountered this actually with any of my coachees, but I have encountered this in my self-coaching that sometimes it's very hard to stay productive and sometimes you can sort of spiral into almost therapy which unfortunately sometimes is great but unfortunately isn't always productive and at least i believe that in coaching you're trying to avoid therapy and stick to the constructive parts um, do you agree and how and if so how do you work with that i think it's very easy to you to start scratching the surface of what traditionally is called therapy. And Absolutely. unless you're a therapist, you shouldn't do that. No one should do that. There's nothing wrong in it. And there's definitely nothing wrong in speaking, you know, human to human about it, but you can't dig too much into it. That would be quite irresponsible. But if you use, or, or if the coach, I'm not saying you, you, but the, if as a coach, one has a very clear idea of where one won't go, and that is part of how you start the coaching. I think it can help with some of these, some of these directions, sort of some of these stages. Yeah. If you feel that you're getting close to things on the on the no list, then you can always then refer to that. And I think this is another part of that comes before the discovery. Really, it's kind of going through the toolbox a little bit, not outlining you know a ten point plan with dates and times and exercises, not at all. Something that I learned from my first coaching session with, with my splendid coach was to don't, don't have a goal with what's going to happen here. Have a goal with what's, what you're going to do with this. So you don't need to move from session to session having accomplished, having been productive. It's what happens outside that matters. That's a wonderful framing. Um, and that's something I use when I coach myself as well. I'm horrible to coach, I've realized, especially me coaching myself, because I also have that productive thing. I've spent hours this week thinking about coaching myself with myself. What is the outcome? Huh? Show me. And of course, that, I mean, that doesn't work, which is, you know, why I need an actual coach. <laughs> Yeah, the, the interesting thing about learning and about insight and about creativity in general is that before you have the idea, there is nothing. Mm. Um, so it doesn't matter how long you spend on it. <laughs> there's, there's nothing there until there is. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah you can't force these things yeah but trusting that is incredibly difficult yeah that's why i think it's much easier to sort of fall back on productivity and <laughs> check boxes instead <laughs> what did checkboxes ever do to you Jan? Well, when i was five years old a checkbox scared me and ever since then i know i've um... i'm sorry this is now bordering into therapy this is on the no list i'm afraid we're gonna end here you're absolutely right yeah let's let's put that to bed <laughs> no there's nothing wrong with checkboxes if you're willing to just leave something behind and move on link up to the next thing and that's the thing coaching isn't about in my mind, this is my professional opinion. I might disagree with it. Everyone might disagree with it, but it's not a checkbox, ex checkbox exercise because it is continuity and it's not a straight line. It's an incredibly wobbly, wonky line. But acknowledging that and being able to see where you've, being able to see the path you've taken and maybe retake <laughs> a couple of times before you, you get past a particular point is part of the coaching because it is about your ability to do these things. And those can only be tried and tested out there away from the actual coaching session. Like so many things in life, we require feedback from the real world. If there's no, to steal another Taleb phrase, if there's no skin in the game, what you're really doing is just a mental exercise. Yeah, which is fine as well. Mm. Just doing things for the, for the heck of it as a mental exercise is a way of self-coaching. I would not argue, but propose Tell me more about you and your own coaching. I mean, when, when you coach yourself, what does that entail and why do you do it? A few years ago, I worked with this amazing entrepreneur, Anneli Nass in Sweden, and she is a coach. She studied coaching a short while and she's using coaching with her company to great effect. And she taught me some of the basics and coached me for a little while. And in it, I realized that there are a lot of things where I haven't really grown in many, many years. Hmm. Uh, and I was both excited and interested in why this is, and also a little bit afraid of what that meant. Yeah, uh, It's always a little bit scary to me to stand still for too long, because there's nothing wrong with liking a part of you and letting that be the same thing. But to stand still unknowingly is different. So I bought a couple of books, and I started doing a couple of exercises and um, I'll share one with you that I found particularly interesting. It's, it's from cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. actually. And I do this journaling exercise every time I have a strong emotion, a strong negative emotion, I should emphasize. If it's a strong positive emotion, I don't try to do an exercise to get rid of it. But <laughs> when I have a strong negative emotion, I write down what I'm feeling. Mm. Uh, in the words that I'm using in my mind right now. And I write down how strongly I'm feeling that feeling from one to 10. Mm. And then I rephrase that emotion into what is objectively happening. What is the real world event that is causing me this feeling? And after I've done that, I again write down how strongly I'm feeling the emotion one to 10. And it's fascinating because it makes you aware of how strong your emotions are, how often you're having these strong emotions, and how often they do not in any way correlate with the real world. Mm. And so far, I have yet to have an example of when, when I've done this, where my emotional state has not gone from the well high to low. 
basically. It's been an amazing tool for me yeah. for both understanding my own emotions and moderating some of the spirals that you can find yourself in. The interesting, well, one of the interesting things is that when you're telling me about this, I very much see how this fits with who you are mm. as, a, as a human being, having known you for a gazillion years. Mm. Interesting. So I'm glad that it's working. I'm glad that it's working. I, I get very interested in trying it myself and see what kind of effect it might have um, on myself. I very much recommend it. Um, it's the, the exercise is just as I described it, and you don't need any particular tools. Just the next time you feel a strong negative emotion, write it down, rephrase as objectively as you can, and see how strong the emotion is. It's fascinating. I do very much want to try that myself. I think it might work with me, but is it is it one of those things you've tried a few other things and this is the one that worked? Is it sort of a trial and error thing? Is it okay to not continue if it doesn't work for me? So let's let's not try to make the coaching productive in itself, right? <laughs> Darn. <laughs> please try the please try the exercise. It's it's very interesting. It has no result. So it's, it only does what you make of it. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. Mm -hmm.